This show is brought to you by Growth Australia, market leaders in designing and creating workplaces. Welcome to Let's Talk Growth, Brisbane's number one people and property podcast. Join our fantastic guests to talk about innovation, marketing ideas, and technology that you can apply to your business to facilitate growth. Hi, my name is Daniel Boys, and I'm the host of Let's Talk Growth. In today's episode of Let's Talk Growth, I'm joined by founding director of Truku, Scott Horton. Truku are a growing national executive search, recruitment, and HR solutions business headquartered in Brisbane. Since launching just over five years ago, Truku has seen remarkable growth. They've been recognized by the Business Review of Australia as one of Australia's fastest growing organizations four years in a row. Their brand promise is invest in people and everything they do circles back to how they enhance the candidate and client experience. This is the third business that Scott has co-founded and he is passionate about scaling business, designing client solutions and developing people. Scott works closely with boards, executive teams, and HR leaders across Australia to deliver outcomes across executive search, recruitment, contracting, and outsourcing solutions. We hope you have as much fun listening to this episode as we did recording it. Scotty Horton from Truku. Well, they know that. I've already introduced you. That was at the start. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you, Daniel. To Let's Talk Growth. This is the fourth episode only six to go viewers hang in there (laughs) hang in there this was supposed to be the first one but he's a very busy man but we've got scott with us today which i'm very excited about thanks for having me fourth episode in i've been described as a cross between ricky gervais the brent years (laughs) and a four-eyed james corden both chubby englishmen (laughs) But you've got to be thick, thick-skinned in this industry. That's his problem, they say. <laughs> but it's brilliant. Now we're here. We've been threatening a podcast to the world for a little while, haven't we? Oh, but- it's great. I, I think, um, yeah, great initiative and um, no, good on you. And I think probably those two uh, celebrities, they better watch out, actually. I know. I think you could uh, could go a long way. Yeah. I, I was going to go on a health kick, but I thought, hey, look. No, no chance. Found me lane. Don't want to be unfunny <laughs> overnight, do I? No, brilliant. And we've got some a great topic today. We want to... Obviously, Truku are doing some fantastic stuff in the advisory space with recruitment and assisting businesses through growth and all of those cycles. It's been a bit turbulent, I imagine, for candidates as well, but Mm. predominantly employers also the last couple of years navigating that new landscape. So today, we really want to give the listeners an insight of the market, what's going on, what's moving, what's shaking, and then a little bit about the Truku story and the business and how you've dealt with some of those growth things as well. Sounds great. Sounds like a good plan. So, mate, could you just give us a bit of an overview on the market as it stands, touching on candidate expectations and then how employers are sort of handling that and where the gaps might be in that dynamic at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, what what a difference 18 months can make. So if we go back a little bit in time, you know, people were hanging on for the jobs, COVID has hit and um, the world was turned upside down overnight. I think what where we're at now is completely the other side. I mean, they talked about the bounce back being more of a U, I think it's definitely a V. Mm. And what that impact has had on the candidate market is effectively we're now in a candidate short market and and, and all businesses are focused on retention, acquisition of new talent, and really looking where they can develop their existing talent as well. So 
you know, businesses have had to go from, right, how can we try and not make people redundant, try and keep our existing workforce? Most organizations are going through all their people being headhunted on a regular basis. Yeah. And, and there is a real war for talent. You know, I speak to a lot of CEOs, I speak to a lot of heads of HR, and it absolutely is a problem that every business is facing. And mm. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon, to be honest with you. With that brings its own challenges. How do you go about your people being offered a lot more in terms of remuneration? And how do you try and prevent your staff being targeted on a daily basis? You know, these are, these are real problems that leaders are facing day in, day out. Definitely. And the war on talent, if we're just defining that, are you f- seeing that it's in common areas of businesses? Is it getting the right people in the right roles across the board? Is it at leadership level? Is it tech space? Is there a link between that or is it all roles in general? I, I, I genuinely think it's all roles. Yeah. So I think, you know, um, we do a lot in the executive search space. So, you know, we're always working with um, a lot of boards and CEOs and they're looking for, you know, great new talent at that C-suite level. But our tech and transformation team is so busy at the moment, probably busier than I've ever known it. And I've, I've been in the uh, executive search and recruitment mm. industry for about 15 years and this is as busy as I've ever known it. And, and that's obviously post-GFC as well, which was a considerably busy period as well yeah it's it's a really interesting time because i imagine as well a lot of employers and c-suite board level almost have to think a few steps ahead at the moment when they're procuring talent and and people because you might fill one role but then inevitably with the growth that a lot of people are going through there's two three four gaps that arise straight out of that so it's almost are they having a defensive approach to procuring talent as well and trying to plug a few gaps before they come about or are they being reactive? Yeah, or? I, I mean, again, it's going to be very different across different industry sectors and yep. different organizations. And and I think, so strategic workforce planning, if businesses are really well planned and they know exactly the type of talent they're going after, they'll be ahead of the curve. But, but that said, you've still got to find the talent. You've still got to get people on board. A lot of people now are really looking at the employee value proposition, really making that link between the values and behaviors of an organization and employee benefits. And, mm. you know, what are we offering and what are candidates looking for? Because I guess that's, you know, the key question because it's changed significantly post-COVID to pre-COVID. You know, what employees want, that's mm. going to be critical in terms of making sure that you're offering the right benefits and the right options for people as well. Yeah, definitely. And what is top of their list? Is it flexibility gets bandied about? <laughs> is it as, as big as a commodity as people are saying? Without a doubt. I mean, if you speak to anyone, the first thing they talk about is what's the policy around flexibility. Mm. So people are expecting that organizations are flexible. I think that's a given now. I think yeah. if we think that you know, flexibility is going away in terms of the working environments, then, you know, we're we're kidding ourselves. Mm. So that's one thing, certainly. I think personal growth is critical. Mm. So again, organizations that are really focused on developing their people, that's absolutely critical. Because let's be honest, in a downturn, which we've gone through, L&D gets put to one side and actually I think it was Culture Amp did a survey of um, it was it was about a thousand people that had left organizations but it wasn't people that they wanted to lose it was regrettable turnover yeah and the number one thing there that they were looking for was personal growth and that was one of the reasons that they'd left so that that investment in you know their career and and, and that career pathway and purpose giving people purpose is directly linked to job satisfaction is what we've seen in a lot of the discussions we've had through the the series is that people want more than just 
you know, they want to be paid a little bit more. They want the flexibility, but they genuinely want to feel like they're pulling in the same direction and that ties into job satisfaction and then culture as well. Oh, I mean, purpose is, is huge. I mean, you know, when we talk to candidates that, that they want, they, it's purposeful work that will get them out of mm. bed in the morning. So you're absolutely right, 100%. And, and I'd say it probably is those three things. So it's, it, it is more flexibility, it is personal growth, and it is, you know, having a real clear purpose and, and actually doing purposeful work. I think that's really important to people. Definitely. And then on the opposite side, how has the employer response been? As a, we had a little bit of a chat off air mm. talking about businesses that potentially weren't set up for that flexibility mm. are still getting their heads around it. Is that quite common that you've seen? Yeah, and I think it's different in every organization. So sure. we, we, Liana and I, Liana's one of my business partners, Liana Callaghan, we run an Atruku Networks, which is effectively where we get together with heads of HR, chief people officers, HR directors. It is the number one thing that they're dealing with from a HR perspective is the education piece with their C-suite around, let's call it hybrid working or flexible mm. working and how they engage the workforce. A lot of it comes down to the fact that pre-COVID, not many businesses worked remotely or had home working set up. I mean, the, the, there are obviously organizations that did, but it wasn't across the board. So what you've seen is that transition where all businesses now are operating in a hybrid environment. So I think it comes down to how their leaders lead and the gaps in their leadership capability. So do they have a performance framework in place that allows them to lead people remotely? So I think that's the education yeah. process. And I think that's where a lot of leaders have struggled is mm. they actually don't have the skills and experience to be able to lead a remote workforce, but it's they need to get that skill and experience because it's not going anywhere. That This is the new norm. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the fallback to that is going back to, I need to see people, I need visibility of staff at all times and account. that's how I'm going to keep the accountability. So it's easier to sort of pull up on those reins. And Well, they're, go they're going back into what they know, correct, but yeah. not what is the future of leadership mm. and how do we lead in the new environment? It's very easy to default. It's like when people are under pressure. They have one style where they're not under pressure. As soon as they're under pressure, you'll see they'll default back to a different style. Yeah. That's what leaders are doing and, and they can't operate in that way because effectively you lose trust. You lose trust of, of all your employers because the, the reality is that they're going, well, do you trust me to do you know my job or do you need to keep an eye on me and watch what I'm doing all the time because that that's micro. Yeah, absolutely. And trust is one of those other key words that has been linked to building a better culture. Trust, communication, leadership, purpose all seem to be sort of intertwined. And if you've got one of those missing, the other ones, there's a bit of a role. Oh, effect. A, they're, they're all intrinsically linked yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. Oh, that's a good word. Got that out first time on the podcast. <laughs> intrinsically linked. I like that. Don't need subtitles for that one. I, I should have done a disclaimer on the Brummy accent, but we'll, we'll smooth over it. I know. It might be Gil, we'll, get, we'll sort that one out on the edits. Producer gills all over it. <laughs> But it's brilliant. And we also mentioned, which is really interesting, is widely accepted that we'd say it's a candidate's market at the moment. Yeah. And the impetus is with the candidate. Another good word. Yeah. Now, do we feel that's because there's such a, a disparity between jobs available and key talent? Mm. If that was a little bit more even, so if there was, you know, as many good jobs out there that lined up with the available talent, would we see it play out differently? Do we think there's been a behavioral change or is this candidates having a little bit more negotiation power and probably taking stock and thinking, well, this is important to me? 
if you do want me to come and work with you, this is this is what I need, essentially. There probably are a few points in there. I, I think, one, we are in a candidate short market. Mm. So based on the fact the borders have been closed for as long as they have, you know, we haven't had migrants or skilled migrants coming into the country for a long time. Clearly, that's going to change. So we've, you know, for the first time in two years, we're now sponsoring people to come over. So clearly, the overseas talent has dried up, but that will come back. In a candidate short market, which we're in, and we've been through it before, that's why they call it a war for talent, because it, you know, talent is hard to come by and, and that skills and experience that help businesses grow just isn't there. I do think there has been a change in behavior from the candidate side. So, I mean, you think about the logic behind it. We said to everyone when we were in lockdown, right, you go and work from home. So we effectively mm. force people to work from home. And then we actually then turned around and said, right, we want you all back in the office now. Yeah. That's not a good message for no. people. So people have got used to work in a certain way. So I think all that candidates are doing is saying, listen, you know, maybe I wasn't as vocal before about what's important to me, but what COVID has taught me is that actually I've realigned my life. I know what's important to me. I know my purpose. And what I want to do is find meaningful work where I do have that flexibility. And that's really important to me. So I think, I think the only fundamental change is that a pandemic's driven it that mm. way. And that now I think candidates are just being more vocal about what they want. And I think then that's up to the employers to listen. If they don't listen, well, they're going to lose talent, yeah. not only from their own business, but they're not going to be able to acquire good mm. talent as well. So, so listening to what people want is absolutely critical. Yeah. And I liked what you said earlier as well, just before we started about that perception of value and where candidates are probably placing themselves in the priority list where typically it might have been business or enterprise business individual yeah yeah the individual is now being placed at the top of the priority list and it's like well what do i need and then almost what does the company need or what are yeah, they looking for uh, well i think so so i always say to our guys you know when i'm when i'm making a decision on our business i always think enterprise first yep. then i think about a team level then i think about myself individually yeah. right now now as one of the business owners you should think like that but I'm trying to encourage all our guys to think that way because what happens then is you're putting yourself in someone else's shoes so if I'm thinking of the enterprise first I'm actually thinking what's the impact of this decision on the organization mm -hmm. then I can bring it down to a team level then then I can look at it from my own personal perspective so I think in these negotiations the candidate is probably thinking, okay, well, what's in it for me? Where mm. do I sit? I do think there's got to be a shift as well, though, in terms of what's important to that particular organization and really understanding what's important from them. Because we do find a lot of the conversation, you know, with candidates at the moment, na naturally is, is very focused on them as an individual. I think it's also understanding what's really important for that organization as well and what works for them. So, for example, in our environment, we went out to everyone and we said, right, what do you want to do? And then we're moving to a brand new office. It's going to be exceptional, but that's a big investment. So you could look at it twofold. You could say, is that a good investment in mm. the world that we work? In? But we wanted to create an exceptional environment. Is the growth slogan, you know, create know. an exceptional environment. Well, you did our last office, so I'm only quoting. He's been brainwashed. <laughs> Brilliant. I was going to save my plug to the end, but we'll go. No, no, no. Well, we, I mean, the reality is we, you know, and we, we've worked with you guys before, you know, you created our current environment. And, you know, if you have an exceptional environment, people will thrive. We, we know that. Definitely. So I think we were, we were torn because we we're saying, do we invest in, in the new office or how do people want to work? But what we did, we, we just asked the question. We said, what do you want to do? The, the general consensus in our environment is that they wanted to do three days in the office and two from home. So 
that allowed us from a capacity planning perspective to work along that Absolutely. along those lines. So we're moving into a new office where we have 47 dedicated seats. It allows us to grow to 70 people mm. and still have, you know, that 60% capacity. And adopt that hybrid um, model. Yeah. And, mm. I, and so we've been really clear with our guys that we are a hybrid model. We're not fully flexible and, we, mm. and we're, we're upfront about that. I, I think every business is different. I also think people shouldn't shy away from just being really clear. Mm. People love certainty. Human beings love certainty. They like to know where they stand. So if we say, Definitely. guys, if you want to come and work for Truku, then we have a hybrid working model with three days in the office, two days from home. You're just being clear on what the expectation is and people have certainty around that. Again, you've got to be uh, flexible around certain things. But I think having boundaries and guidelines are, are, are really good for people. And then if that's not the environment that that, that suits them, yeah. well, then we're not the organization for them. And I think that's okay. And I think it's important to define that as well because Truku has a, a young, strong brand, yep. which is quite prevalent in the market. And I quite often speak to a lot of people and they've heard of Truku, they know the brand and you do a great job on LinkedIn and, and a lot of marketing stuff as well, which is great. How much does the culture of the office and the time that the team spend together in the office play into that, do you think? And how does that then filter through to your clients and bringing them into your brand? Because the office is well, almost the epicenter of it, isn't it? 100%. I mean, it, it, it's huge. And I think, you know, in an environment like ours where we're very client-focused, so a lot of our guys are out with clients a lot of the time. We have a lot of candidates coming into the office. Clearly, through COVID, you know, a lot of the interviews went to Zoom or Teams, mm. and, and that's continued. I mean, I think there's a level of comfort now that you can do a lot of the interviews, you know, over Teams or Zoom, and we've got great outcomes from that. But, you know, there's nothing better than meeting yeah. someone face-to-face. -face. So I think, in general, absolutely, you know, that culture is absolutely critical so so if i look at it and i break it down we, we're a values driven business we have four values that we live and breathe the behaviors are all linked to those values but the the benefit that we get of that collaboration of people mm. coming together of being in the office at the same time sharing ideas the innovation the the cross-selling the you know talking about different clients or different candidates that has a lot of power but we also want to listen to what people are saying that they do want that flexibility and they do want to work from home one or two days a week you know that's important you've got to listen to what people are saying yeah but in our environment it's really important that people come together in other environments you know i think it was just last week i think it was airbnb said that we're happy for anyone to work anywhere they can work remote 100 percent of the time they can work wherever they want now for Airbnb, that clearly works for them as an organization. Mm. For our business, it wouldn't work. The culture would be significantly impacted just in terms of the way that our operating model works. So I think every organization is different. Just because one organization says you can work remotely 100% of the time doesn't mean that that's right for another organization. But within your organization, I think it's it's recognizing what works and what doesn't work and, and just being yeah. really clear to you guys around that. And you've got the organization and then how the individuals feel and operate inside that organization, inside their team, and it's managing that internally as well. So you, you've got three days in the office, two days home. Is that managed by team leaders or middle management start is it is there flexibility around which three days there are or how do you coordinate that yeah i mean you know being really transparent i think we we've struggled with that a little bit only from the point of view that in our current office we haven't got enough seats mm. even at a 60 capacity so it's been a real challenge i think 
making it leader-led has been a lot easier. And we've got an online booking system, so it's hot desking. People can just go online, they book through technology, and then they'll get a dedicated desk for when they're in the office. Even though when we move to the new office, in theory, everyone will have a desk, we'll soon outgrow that. So Mm. then we go to that online booking system, and it's worked really well. I think, you know, again, people just go online, they book the desk, and then... It's that certainty piece that you were talking about and predictability. People know once they've booked in, once they've locked in, then that's them taken Absolutely. care of. Absolutely. So so again, for us, and I think for most organisations, it's been a journey in terms mm. of what that looks like. But, you know, we've all been dealing with this. And I speak to a lot of HR leaders as well. I think the pressure that has been put on HR yeah. over the last two years is unbelievable. Almost to the point where I think a lot of leaders have forgotten how to make decisions mm. because they've been so reliant on HR because they didn't want to make a bad call. In these network events that we're running, so many HR leaders are just burnt out. And yeah. I think one of the roles of the C-suite now is to really almost get their leadership team to start making decisions you know again rather than yeah. just being so reliant on HR it's, yeah, it's fascinating they have a tough time with it, the poor HR don't they it's a thankless yeah. task well, it, well it, you know it it genuinely is I think yeah. I think it's you know we deal with all levels of HR and, and I think the last two years in particular has been extremely draining as it is for everyone mm. I think you know again we could go into sort of the men- mental health and well-being aspect yeah. but people's resilience levels have really been tested over Absolutely. the last two years. And that's, and that's clear. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think we had a, a really great podcast last episode and Lauren Phelps from Lorganize mentioned that it's almost now like employees are looking to employers to be responsible for their mental health and well-being, where that was sort of never the case. So mm-hmm. now it's almost like that structure, that leadership structure is providing stability and purpose and a platform to move forward. And that's a lot of pressure. And I think people have sort of felt that in particular, as you mentioned, HR. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. And I, and, and I think Laurie Smith, who's our candidate experience manager, put a post out the other day that it should be part of your strategy now. And it should be. I mean, it, you know, it should be at the C-suite in terms of, okay, what are we doing from a mental health and wellbeing perspective across our organisation? And it should be a strategic pillar. It's mm. critically important. And, and that is probably my only comment around hybrid working or completely flexible working is that ability to check in with people. So, mm. you know, we've still got to make sure if someone's not visible that we're checking in with them regularly or having a coffee. One of the things we've done, which has worked really well, is just every week we go for a coffee with a different person in the organization. That's a great initiative. And it's great. And, and you just connect with people. You can check in, see how they're doing. You know, are they okay? And and I think it's really important that we, we continue to do that because as I say, people's resilience levels have been at an all-time low, certainly in Queensland, I think, you know, of what we've gone through. so Especially with this weather we've had lately. I know, exactly. I was at New Street the weekend, could have been anywhere. <laughs> Snowing. Un- unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, but daughter Mila, she's very cute. She's, as, as you know, she's just turned one and she got blown over on the beach twice. So uh, she uh, she's not believing the hype of New Street at the moment, unfortunately. Well, I have to uh, take her back. It, it is, you know, and I, I, again, I, I look at the people that have gone through you know, where the property's been flooded and the businesses. Yeah. And then you look at the weekend, it all comes in again and everyone's thinking, oh my God, here we go know, again. Yeah, hatches yeah again. exactly. Yeah, so definitely. so that sort of resiliency, we've got to keep an eye on that from, uh, certainly as leaders, we've got to really keep an eye on our people and make sure they're okay. Completely agree. What I'd love to do now is talk about if there's businesses who are listening to this, leaders that are listening to this, and they might be a bit disillusioned with the market and thinking, look, we've got gaps here, gaps there. What do we do? Where do we start? 
what would be a, a good way to introduce them to your process, I suppose, but in, in general, some things that they could be doing as leaders to start having a bit more of a strategic approach to their procurement. Of talent. Yes, yeah. of talent. and office fit-outs. <laughs> <laughs> Love the plug. Listen, it's, it's, it, 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 there's probably not one easy answer. I mean, I, I was at a lunch last week with, again, the HR community, and one of the things that I said is we've got to start looking at the underutilized underutilized cohort and, and what I meant by that we've done a lot of work in the disability sector we've actually rephrased it different ability but we've started a movement called the inclusive employment movement um, and that is absolutely targeted uh, at people with different abilities one in five Australians believe it or not are living with a disability uh, and yet if you look at their represent representation in mainstream workforce it's oh, it's it's shocking yeah so We've just employed a guy, came through the Orca projects. He's He's got a physical and an intellectual disability, and it was a really easy process, and we brought him into the business, and he's you know, he's made a significant difference to our business, but also mm. he's made a significant difference to his life. That's fantastic. So that's one example. I mean, you know, obviously the disability sector. Um, that's an, an out-of-the-box strategy that shouldn't be an out-of-the-box strategy. Oh, it 100%. should be. Yeah. It, it should be part of mainstream recruitment. Absolutely. So, so that's something that we're, now bringing in and saying, okay, if we're running a process, you know, how, how do we do that? And it should have always been that way, but mm. it isn't. So I think there's more focus from that perspective, which is good. I, I think, you know, it does come down to your strategic workforce planning. So what a business is doing in terms of, okay, well, where are the gaps in our business? What are we doing from a succession planning perspective? What are the career pathways for our our guys and certainly the bigger organizations, what are they doing from a reskilling perspective or where can they move people around? So, you know, looking at mobility across the workforce as well. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're in market and you recruit in a role, then you should have exhausted all those options mm. before you actually do that. Yeah. So, I don't think there's one size fits all. I think it's multifaceted, but I, I do think that, you know, having that strategic workforce plan is really important so that people are crystal clear in terms of what your strategy is from a, a talent acquisition perspective. And has that been, has that developed and changed over the last couple of years? Have you felt that you've had an opportunity to work with clients earlier in the piece on that more consultancy basis, helping them with structures, helping them with that strategic planning? Whereas traditionally, maybe it was they already knew what they wanted and they've come to you and said, look, there's 100 roles, we need to fill them, let's go. Are you finding that your customer service offering and how you're working with clients has developed in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think, you know, if I think of Graham Lammy in particular, who's the EGM for our outsourcing business, you know, I think when I look at Graham, he's having a lot of those strategic conversations a lot earlier in, in the piece. And I think, so from that perspective, yes. So it's actually looking at, you know, what are going to be the biggest challenges over the next 12, 24, 36 months? Again, in exec search, absolutely. A lot of the work that we do is confidential and it's, you know, there might even be an executive currently in the role, but we're, you know, confidentially mapping the market because there's going to be a change at some point in the future. And, you know, we're working with the CEO or board around what that could look like and giving them an indication of the market. I, I think reactive recruitment, if anything, over the last six months has, has, has come to the front again because, yeah. um, again, people have, are resigning. They mm. talked about the great resignation. I have a view on that. I mean, I think if you balanced it out over the last five years and looked at retention rates across businesses, it would probably be 
equivalent to what it was the the previous five sure. years. It's just exaggerated because everyone held tight for a couple of years during COVID. Definitely. So we've seen a peak. That change was always going to come. And, and I think it was inevitable that, that there would be significant change this year. So because businesses are losing good people, they're looking to replace them or they're doing everything they can to keep them. And, and again, you know, we've seen a lot of counter offers. We've seen candidates get right to the point where they'll you know, almost sign a contract or about to leave, but then get a significant counter yeah. offer because that organization is saying, well, you know, I'd rather pay you 30 or 40K more to retain you mm. than, than go to market and probably have a six month gap before we've, we've refilled yeah. the it's role. the opportunity costs of training 100%. up someone else, getting the right fit, getting the culture and, and all of those things as well. We've certainly seen that in our business where traditionally as a builder, we would come in when the deal had been done and it was, look, guys, you know, here's what we want built tender gives your price and let's go yeah whereas now we're taking a much more long-range view yeah working with clients a lot earlier working with people like yourselves on yeah. their strategic planning and growth forecast moving forward yeah working with the technology teams to make sure that what we're designing is going to be future proof for what they need and really acting as more of a safeguard and future proof in their decision on their new office space. But I think that, you know, if I look at the journey we've been on with with growth, I mean, the reality is it is that trusted partner. Mm. So, you know, we were going from, if you look at our journey, we started off what, what we were six people in a co-working space. I was and a then, leasing agent at the time. I cold called back a few years Andrew Potter, yeah, that's it. It's come full circle. They didn't do the deal with me, the buggers. I had to beg them to come on this podcast. But, but we did do the uh, the deal with growth. But but I think if you you know if you look at that transition, we probably did three or four offices in a short period of time, but it was that trusted advisor approach, giving us strategic advice, you know, look at your lease term, what are you doing in terms of fit out, the design work, which is so important when you're looking it's at critical, a new environment. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what we've always seen with you guys is that trusted advisor approach. And and I think, you know, looking at the new office, that's why we can move in and say, yeah, you know, we might grow to 70 people in, in Queensland, but we've got the capacity in the current office. And that's why we're happy to sign a five-year lease. And, you know, we, we'll fill every disc when we, we move in, but we're okay with that because yeah. it's been a strategic conversation around what that could look like longer term as well. No, it's been brilliant. It's been great to see the Truku business go from strength to strength. And I think this latest move is in Riverside Centre, which is a yeah. premium asset in Brisbane. Yeah. Hundred Creek Street is a great building mm. as well. Mm. Was that a conscious step up to premium grade to represent the brand? Was it because what I've found is from leasing experience as well, when companies move into an asset like that, everyone gets a bit of a lift mm. and you do get that knock on effect of being in a premium asset and everyone mm. starts to to feel a bit differently and, and mm. some really positive knock-on benefits from it? I think, I mean, it is an exceptional building. I mean, uh, we're, we're a, you know, one of our values is is authenticity. So I can honestly say, you know, our guys are extremely down to earth. So, you know, they wouldn't look at it as a, as a premium build. They'd look at it as going, you know, this is an amazing environment. And yeah, we've mm. got lovely river views. I, I think what we wanted, we wanted an environment where the guys are extremely proud to come to work, where they do want to come into the office and, and they do want to collaborate and, you know, they do want to work together. And if we have, you know, important meetings, they come in so that, you know, there was that attraction piece as well. But I think they'll absolutely love it when we move in in August. I think, you know, it is an exceptional environment and that they will be extremely happy there. And it's exciting. I mean, 
you know, the, the fact that we will be the journey from five years ago in, you know, a co-working space to where we are now, it's, it, it's a great story. I was down in Sydney last week with our Sydney team and, you know, they're in a co-working space. Mm. It's almost history repeating itself in Sydney now, but they're growing to 10 people. So one of the things I was doing when I was in Sydney was looking at new office space sure. for the guys down there and we're on the same journey in Sydney. So it's great to see and, you know, they'll go from a, a six-person office to a 12-person office and suddenly now we're looking at 20-person offices. So it's, yeah, it's a similar journey down south as well now, which is great. And is it a similar market down there as well? Are you seeing some similar trends as far as what candidates are seeking, what employers are offering? Yeah, it's no, it's no different. I mean, you know, I can't comment on Melbourne because I haven't been down to the Melbourne market for a while, but certainly Sydney, same challenges that yeah, we're sure. having in Queensland. I think, you know, again, it's talent short. The guys are very focused down there in terms of very niche in terms of that data strategy and transformation. So that's where they're really focusing initially until we expand into other areas. So they've sort of built the business around that vertical. But it's, yeah, it, it's similar. Talent short market and, you know, you've got to work hard to get people across the line. And that's not just from our perspective, but obviously from the employer perspective as well. No, that's brilliant. I mean, I want to put you on the spot now. Yeah, do it. Because you're a very successful Plug for yourself. There you go. I see anyone who's there. And it's been great to see the growth of Truco, as I've mentioned, as a professional colleague and as a mate as well. What's your driver now? What's your, your kids are growing up, they're getting to that age and you've got a successful business. What is your why that keeps you firing every day? Because I think it's great to hear about all that intel and some really good takeaways. But I think a lot of leaders can learn from hearing things like that and hearing about what gets you out of bed every day and where you get your purpose from? Yeah, so it's a, listen, I mean, it's a really good question. I think it's something you have to think about all the time. And you're right. I mean, I turned 50 last September. 50? <laughs> we, won't 50? Mention, we won't mention the weekend Blimey. away. But I, I think the reality is, you know, the kids are older. I mean, you know, I've got a, a daughter turning 15 next week. So, that, so the reality is they are, they are growing up. I think what has always been important to me is, you know, the growth of our people. And I genuinely mean that. I think, you know, creating a legacy is fantastic. Mm. And, you know, Harriet said to me the other day, oh, dad, you know, when I finish school, can I come and work at Truco? You know, and, and, and there's an element of that she absolutely wants to do that. She she walks down from school and she comes into the office and she sees everyone. I think she sees how much fun we have and she doesn't realise a lot of hard work oh, that brilliant. goes with it as well. Wow. You know, leaving a legacy would be great. I'm certainly nowhere near retirement, but I think obviously I'm getting a little bit older. And I think that's the same for some of my business partners as well. I think we are blessed that we've got an exceptional team and mm. we've we've obviously worked hard to do that but we have got some really great people in the business so and that gives you energy as well i suppose 100%. when you see the younger people coming up it's yeah, yeah rewarding yeah and I, and i think I, I don't see age as a barrier i mean i think you know our, our business we've got izzy's the youngest at 19 and, and jb's the oldest that i think he's 58 you know but i think you wouldn't know the, the difference in the ages. I mean, everyone is just full of energy. And I think that's what, you, you know, you talk about culture, it is that passion, that energy. Yeah. And I think what drives me is a couple of things, really. One is I really want to help our Sydney team this year be mm. successful. I love um, 
and always have loved that startup environment to scale. Giving you the passion again and that 100%. feeling of yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when I was down there last week, you know, the guys are, are working really hard and 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 doing everything they can to create the brand in the Sydney market. Whereas I think in Brisbane now we do have a brand that's recognised not by everyone by any uh, stretch, but you know, it is a recognisable brand in the exec search and, and recruitment space. Whereas Sydney, you know, we've still got a, a lot of work to do. So I think going to Sydney every other week, helping those guys to build their business. Uh, we also launched Hire People, which is our technical business. So, you know, that was only launched two two months ago, and that's construction, property, and engineering, which really... Oh, uh, you can't poach me. <laughs> Just give me a call on open. But, but, you know, when I look at the opportunity in that space in terms of the investment in infrastructure, you know, the Olympics, I mean, really, oh, you've got yeah. a 10-year window to to really grow that business. So I think I think we have a huge opportunity. Yeah, Brisbane's very, it feels exciting at the moment, doesn't it? Is. it? There's a Absolutely. lot going on. And it, it's felt like it's been threatening to get there for the last five, 10 years. Yeah. And even throughout all the setbacks we've had over the last sort of 18, 24 months, the rubber has continued to hit the road with infrastructure projects yeah. and things in the pipeline that's hopefully going to keep positive business decisions moving forward. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I was talking to someone in Sydney. I was talking to when we were actually we were looking at offices and I was saying, if you go down to Howard Smith Wharves now, when you come to Brisbane, you know, that that complex down mm. there, you know, it's world class. You could be anywhere in the world. 100%. Much like Noosa at the weekend, but in a positive way for, <laughs> for this one. For a different reason. For a different reason. Yeah, it yeah. is a world class yeah. venue facility. It, it is. And and I think, you know, we've we've got the Olympics coming up. The, you know, there's the, the, the Women's World Cup. You know, we've got the Rugby World Cup that's coming to Australia. I mean, there's so many positive things that are happening. So that investment in, you know, major projects, infrastructure, it's, it, it's fantastic. I mean, you look at all the investment in inland rail and cross river rail, it, it, it's it's a great time to be in Queensland. And and I think it's no different when you go down to Sydney, you know, yeah. they're they're extremely positive about the next, you know, five to ten years. Even though we're seeing, you know, interest rates go up and there's a lot of talk around the impact of that on the property mm. market, etc. But I think in certainly from a Queensland point of view, things have held firm. Is that interstate migration piece still quite prominent in the candidate market as well? You're still seeing a lot of talent being procured from Sydney up to Brisbane. I think you always you'll always get movement, but we're also seeing it the you know the other way, Queensland yeah. going down to to Sydney. Sure. I think you know let's be honest, the Victorians did it the hardest. I mean that that they were the most locked down city yeah. in the world, which is not something that you want to be proud of. So I think the reality is you will see transition probably out of Victoria, but. A lot of businesses now are creating national roles from anywhere. And, and again, this comes down to that flexibility and hybrid working model that you don't need to be in you know, a head office in Sydney or Melbourne. You can do that role from anywhere. So I think that creates opportunity for people as well. Mate, it's fantastic. It's been a pleasure. I'm conscious of the listeners' time and your time as well. There was a bit of pressure on this one because we've got a follow-up panel event. And if the content wasn't engaging, I was going to have to talk about lead times of construction materials and pricing. <laughs> so oh, it's brilliant. I've escaped that one. We've got a panel event, which I'll send some information out to the listeners where uh, managing director of Truku, Andrew Pike, will be one of the, the guests speaking and really evolving some of these things that we've spoken about today, because I think it's important. It's great for people to have line of sight to it. And really trying to arm them with a couple of different strategies on how they can navigate through what's still a little bit of a turbulent time, but a lot of positive green shoots as well. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, there's significant opportunities for businesses at the moment in terms of that talent acquisition space. So, no, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed obviously chatting with you and yeah, hope, hope the listeners enjoy it as well. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Scott Horton. Thank you. 
thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, if you've got any questions about any of the topics or you'd like to join us on one of the podcasts, please contact us via talk at growthaustralia.com.au. See you next time.